0: If this is your first time at Lebanon Christian Church, or you've not been here in a while, I just want to orient you for a moment. I know that some of this will be uh, redundant, or you've heard it before as we are in this series called The Pathway, but I want to make sure everybody can find their place uh, in this journey. Uh, We're in a series called The Pathway, and it's very simple. The, The pathway gives us a very clear picture of something. What do pathways do? Very simply, they take us somewhere, right? We have stone paths to gardens. We have uh, sidewalks, which are paths to somewhere. If you're a golfer, uh, you have cart paths, and they uh, ideally take you closer to your ball. But if you golf like I do, often the cart path is further from your ball uh, because I'm usually a few fairways over uh, doing some other thing. And um, the pathways take us somewhere. Uh, Maybe you have a child that's involved in the Lebanon High School's production of The Wizard of Oz. They've been learning a lot about paths over the last uh, several months as they prepare. Uh, They follow the yellow brick road, right? Follow the yellow brick road. That's a pathway. It's a pathway to somewhere. It's a pathway to Oz where they can get all this infinite wisdom from the man behind the curtain. It's a pathway. Pathways take us somewhere. And so when we think about the pathway at Lebanon Christian Church, it's taking us somewhere. Somewhere. But where is that somewhere it's taking us? For, for us, we hope the pathway helps everyone come to see and to experience the fullness of life found in God and lived under his authority. We hope the pathway helps you find your place in God's story. We hope the pathway helps you see that you're made in his image, that you have a part to play in this grand drama that God has been working, this place where you find your identity, where you find a sense of completion, where you find meaning and purpose. We want our pathway to help you discover that. And we want you to think in terms of the pathway. I shared last week that programs and people change. And inherently, people and programs aren't what leads to a life transformed by our amazing God. God uses people. God uses programs. He uses them as tools. But God, through his power, does the transforming. God, through his spirit, does the transforming. And so what are the steps of our pathway? Discover, decide, grow, and go. And it's very simple to understand Uh, You can never decide to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus until you discover it. Um, I think of the words that Paul writes in Romans, how can someone believe unless they have heard? unless you've been told who God is and his plan for your life, unless you've heard about this Jesus who, who, who God sent to restore your relationship with him, to rescue you from the, uh, just the damaging, fragmented, uh, fragmenting, fracturing effects of sin, uh, you, you'll never decide to follow him. You have to discover that. You have to discover the greatness of who he is. But that discovery inevitably leads us to a place of decision. What will we do with that? If someone tells me, if I read it for myself in, in, in the word of God in the Bible, and that, that God is great, and, and God wants me to find my life underneath the, his authority, he's my king, I'm his uh, follower, his servant, I'm doing his will, I'm experiencing the best of what he intends for me as a human being. If I hear that, then I have to decide, am I going to accept that? Am I going to follow that? Am I going to join the story? and Am I going to find my place in the pages of his story? Or am I going to reject that? There's a decision. So we discover, but then we have to decide. Some of you in the room have already made a decision. Some of you have already decided that you are all in for this King Jesus. Uh, Some of you have made a decision that you're going to try to live in a little bit of both. I'm all in sometimes, and sometimes I'm not. And some of you, and and it's okay to be where you're at, uh, you've not decided yet. Uh, Maybe you're skeptical, and I hope that as you Come and you open up yourselves to the possibility of a God that loves you. You'll encounter him in an incredible, powerful, amazing way. So we discover, we decide, and if we decide to follow Jesus, that leads to us growing We're always discovering more and more about who he is and uh, what he has to say about our lives. And even though I've been journeying with Jesus now, I I decided to become a disciple of Jesus in 1989. So that's a long time ago. Uh, I'm still learning all the time different parts of my life that are out of alignment with his best. And so I grow and I I try to submit to his words, words that I struggle with sometimes and I try to follow him. But that growth inevitably shapes me more and more to live the very best of what he intends for me as a person created in his image. And that growth leads me to be a person who goes, who tries to use this life to help other people experience him. You've probably heard this before, healthy things grow, right? If you have a child and um, you, you've watched them, they're a year old, now they're two years old and, and you start going to those doctor's appointments and their weight's not going and their, their height's not, 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 not growing and you're like, well, maybe something's wrong and they test the child. They want to find out, are they okay? Because we know that healthy things grow. If you think about plants, a healthy plant grows and then what happens? It, it gives way to fruit. Uh, the, the fruit contains seeds. If it doesn't have fruit, it, it, it produces seeds. And sometimes I think of the dandelions and uh, how, how they go from the yellow to that kind of um, almost see-through, white, cloudy thing that wind hits it and it carries the seeds along the wind. But a healthy thing has grown and then it, and then it goes. And what happens to those seeds? They find themselves, or they drop straight down from the tree and an apple and it rots, and the seed gets into the soil and it germinates, or it's a dandelion seed carried along the wind. It deposits itself in someone's soil and then it, it grows. A healthy thing grows and reproduces itself. Disciples of Jesus have discovered him. They've decided to follow him and go in on this mission of his and they grow in him and they go so that other people can discover, decide, grow, and go. That's our pathway. That's the picture of transforming discipleship and it's dependent upon his power and his grace and his goodness. And so we have these pathway classes at Lebanon Christian Church where we hope to orient people to where they're at in the journey. They're not exhaustive. Uh, They don't cover every ounce of information that a person will ever want to know. But we want someone who comes to Lebanon Christian Church and is trying to find their place in the world, their place in the story, to find their identity, uh, to have a place where they can start orienting themselves. And so each month they repeat. uh, The first Sunday of every month is Discover Jesus. The second Sunday is Discover the Bible. The third Sunday is Discover the Church. And the fourth week is Decide Next Steps. And they happen down the hall uh, in our Pathways room. The hope is that as you come, even if you've heard these things before, you'll know what we believe about Jesus in the Bible and the church and and how you can get plugged in. An even bigger hope, if you want to see the big picture, is that as you are speaking to neighbors and friends and coworkers and family members about this Jesus who loves you and has changed your life, that you can invite them if they want to figure out where they're at on this journey. They can come and they can discover Jesus. It's not exhaustive. You don't learn everything you can about Jesus in 40 minutes. But you get introduced to who he is and how he changes lives. You can come one week and and then discover the Bible and and figure out what is it that this uh, ancient collection of God's inspired words, what makes them so different? How do they continue to transform lives and introduce us to the God who does that transforming? Uh, You can come discover the church. We've already looked at discover Jesus and discover the Bible. And today we'll look at discover the church. And next week is Decide Next Steps. So let's talk about the church. You've probably heard the term before. Um, if, you, if you're a Kanye West fan, then you've heard about his church service um, that, that's happening uh, across the country. Maybe if you, um, like Lecrae, a, a rapper, you've heard his album Church Clothes. Uh, maybe you've heard someone talk about wearing your church clothes. Often when we think about what the church is, uh, we think about a place, don't we? We think about a building. We think about an address. We think about a specific location. That's what we think of when someone says, what's the church? Oftentimes we think of a specific place, a building, uh, something related to that. We have a whole um, study in architecture of church architecture. I think this is reinforced from a very young age. Uh, some of you may know this. Um, I, I happen to have one of those experiences of, of growing up in the church. Uh, there's a lot of good that comes from that, but, but also there's some things we learn over the years that aren't so good, and so we need to shake some of those things along the way, and so I'm probably going to wreck some of your dreams today because we're going we're to we're wreck something that you learned as a kid. In some classrooms, some kids' auditoriums, some small groups across the U.S., kids get in a circle, and their teacher has them put their fingers together, and they interlock them and she has them close their hands or he has them close their hands and they they say this this is the church what comes next this is the we open the doors and see all the people now some of you who have not grown up in church are like okay this is the stuff that keeps me away well just so you know we're not going there we don't want you to learn this all right Why don't we want you to learn this? Because this is an emphasis that the church, this is the church, the steeple, the church is a building and the people dwell inside the building that is the church. But the church isn't a what, the church is a who. The church refers to the redeemed people of God. The church is not a place, the church is not a location, the church is his people, and so forget that crazy nursery rhyme. Like most of the nursery rhymes are, are morbid anyway, right? Spiders come down, they scare you. Hansel and Gretel get thrown into an oven, they get eaten. I mean, like, come on. So let's throw that one away too because the church is a people. It's not a what, it's a who. So who is the church? Like last week, I want to give you a statement that hopefully can help you remember uh, who the church is, what her purpose is. The church is the rescued disciples of Jesus who trust and obey Jesus and are committed to helping others trust and obey Jesus. That's who the church is. The church is the rescued disciples of Jesus. It's this community of people who have come to understand what God has done for them. And they're committed to him. He's rescued them. They trust and obey him. And they're committed to helping other people trust and obey him. Uh, So let's just break that statement down. Start at the beginning. The church is the rescued disciples of Jesus. Let's actually start at the end of that first part, of Jesus. If you and I are going to truly understand who the church is, it begins here. The church, this rescued community of disciples, It belongs to Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. If you come from a Catholic background, I pray you'd forgive me. I'm not trying to be mean, but the church doesn't belong to the Pope. The church doesn't belong to a pastor. The church doesn't belong to a preacher. The church belongs to Jesus. She is his. Paul in Ephesians and the letters to the Corinthians, Colossians, uh, other letters in the New Testament. This is how the church is spoken of. The church is the body of Christ. Uh, and in fact, Paul writes and says, The church is the body of Christ of which he is the head, he is the authority. Paul Paul's great at using images that we can, we can all relate to, whether it's a racing image or an armor image or, or the body and how organs work together. And he talks about the church, this rescued disciples of Jesus, how, how they're a body, and Christ is the head. I mean, I don't, I don't know a lot about anatomy. I know a lot about the human body, but I know the brain controls a whole lot of what happens in here. That's why it's so hard to watch someone who's suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's in their life as it affects their body. Christ is our head. He is our authority. Followers of Jesus, you belong to him. The church is his. If that's not enough, you can look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes these words. They're part of our theme verse for the year. He says, uh, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God is making his appeal through us. Do you see that where we are Christ? Christ also can be translated Messiah. It's this royal term. He is King Jesus, but we are Christ. Do you hear the possessive? We are Christ's ambassadors. We belong to him. We do His work. We are His. And if that's not enough, you can go to that beautiful imagery in the final letter of the New Testament revelation, where John, in this letter, talks about how the church is like a bride. or're the bride of Christ. On October 28th, uh, 2000, uh, Audrey and I sat in a, um, sat, we, we stood actually. It would have been weird if we sat for our wedding. But uh, we, we stood in an auditorium about this size in uh, normal Illinois. And we committed to loving each other for a lifetime. Even when things got hard and we let each other down. And in that ceremony, we took rings and we gave them to each other as a sign Of our commitment. And anytime I I, I conduct or I officiate a a wedding ceremony, I remind people, this is a sign that I am committed. Another way of saying is that I belong. Paul talks about my body belonging to my wife and her body to me. We're together in this. When I made those vows, I said, I am yours, Audrey. And she said, I am yours, Craig. We belong to each other. The church is the bride of Christ. We belong to him. We're his. So the church is the rescued disciples of Jesus. But we can think about these terms of, of belonging and ownership. And they can give us some very difficult pictures sometimes. Uh, ways that uh, Jesus is referred to in scripture is a king. Master, which comes from the slavery picture. And we sometimes have very negative connotations of these things. We've seen earthly kings and earthly masters do awful things to people. But let's remember that our measuring stick is not the people of this world. They reflect poorly what God reflects in perfection. Our measuring stick is him. So don't judge the King of Kings by the kings of this world. Let's judge the kings of this world by our King of Kings. He, he he's the master. He he, he he It's difficult to understand. We, we think of servitude and we think of slavery and we, we have these awful images of people coming over on boats from Africa and we have these awful pictures of of, of men and women in India and other places in our world or maybe you think of, of sex trafficking and we have these awful images but in Jesus' day, in Paul's day there was a type of slavery called a bond servant where you would intentionally hire yourself to be the slave of someone else. You would place yourself underneath their authority. You would be their slave. They would be your master master. but it's because it was best for you, it was best for your family, and then they would lead you. And so that's the image we have of Jesus. He's our master. he's He's not a harsh ruler. And so it's important that we key not only that we're the church, the disciples, the rescued disciples of Jesus, but we're rescued because Jesus is mastering, Jesus is kingship, all that Jesus does for us, it's done with compassion and care. He has rescued us. Well, you probably know the story. Uh, in the beginning, the heavens and the earth. God creates, it's beautiful, there's harmony, um, there's wholeness, there's life, there's joy, there's peace. Beautiful things happen in the Garden of Eden. And then Adam and Eve doubt and distrust God and disobedience enters. Sin enters the world. Rebellion against God's best and God's authority enters the world. And that separates us because God is a holy God, perfect in every way. And if God is perfect and holy in every way, then it's, he, he can't be with that which is unholy and broken and marred and filthy. But God loves us so much that he said, I don't want this to stay the way, so I'm going to send a very part of myself, my son, into this world. And the whole story of the people of Israel is bringing about Jesus who fulfills all the law and the prophets. We sang that in a song this morning. He fulfills it all. And Jesus comes and he takes upon himself the penalty for our sin. Paul tells us that's death, eternal separation from God. That's the just reward for the wages of sin is death but he gives us the gift, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He puts that weight on Jesus. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. We've all rebelled. We've all disobeyed. We've all distrusted God. But in Jesus, he gives us a better way. and He rescues us. He buys us back. He dies our death on that cross and he raises victorious so that we can live not just in a future kingdom that's coming, but we can live as part of his, his eternal kingdom now, and we can live lives of fullness and meaning and purpose even in a broken and decaying world. We are the rescued disciples of Jesus. We belong to him. He has rescued us. What about that disciple word? What does that mean? Discipleship is not a common picture uh, that we we have today in our world. If you were to travel to Israel and you were to go to the old city of Jerusalem, uh, you would see rabbis in their um, traditional clothing with a series of students, disciples, following them closely, literally trying to walk like them, talk like them, live like them. That's what was happening in Jesus' day. We had disciples. Disciples followed rabbis. They would learn from him. They would learn from that teacher, but even more than that, they wanted to live like that teacher. Something happened in our world in the Enlightenment. We took belief and knowledge, which up until that point always translated into action. You knew someone believed something by what they lived And we took belief and we placed it only in the realm of the mind. And we said we can uh, uh, ponder things, pontificate things, think about things. And they don't have to affect how we live. And so we end up with all kinds of philosophy and philosophers. And and people just like to think about things but never want to do anything. That's not the world of Jesus. The world of Jesus is that if you believed it, you lived it. And so these disciples would follow their rabbi and they would learn, this is what he says about heaven and earth and their lives in it. This is what God wants for them. And so they would hear it and they would want to do it. That's why the church is the rescued disciples of Jesus who trust and obey. He's our rabbi. He's our teacher. We, we trust him. We want to learn from him. But but the the epitome of that learning, that belief, is that we would actually do it. I love these words from John. John chapter 14, verse 15. Uh, John has a very special relationship with Jesus. That that shouldn't scare us. Uh, Sometimes people think it's unfair. Uh, You know, uh, Jesus had 12 disciples. Why did he concentrate on three? Why does John get called the beloved disciple it's not that hard. Uh, we have friends, right? You have friends. Uh, they're not all your best friend. You may tell them that to your face, but you, you know who your closest friend or closest couple friends are. They're parts of you they see, parts of you they know. There are things you do with them. It's not an issue of value. It doesn't mean that your other friends don't matter. It's just, this is your close friend. So, so Jesus Fully God, yet fully man, has some close friends, and John's one of them. And the beauty of John's gospel and biography of Jesus' life is that he tells us his purpose. John chapter 20, that he wrote these things. They're not all the things Jesus did, but he wrote these things that by hearing them, we could believe and have eternal life, that they would be enough for us. And so John looks back at the end of his life and he says, these are all the things I want people to know about my Jesus. And so he shares what Jesus said towards the end of his life. John 14, 15. John says, this is something I heard from him. He said, if you love me, keep my commands. Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, if you trust me, if your hearts are aligned with me, again, uh, Thank you, Enlightenment. Uh, We think about love as a feeling rather than an action. Um, And those of you that have been married a really long time or been in a relationship a really long time, you know that eventually the feelings fade. But the actions can always remain. And as you continue to actually love, not just feel it, you find that those feelings come back. Uh, Paul, Paul says this of love, 1 Corinthians 13, that love trusts Love hopes, love never fails. He says, "Love believes all things, and so when Jesus says, "If you love me, he's saying, "If you trust me," guys, if you're going to buy into this, keep my commands, obey my commands. The church is the disciples, rescued disciples of Jesus, who trust and obey Jesus. We submit to His authority. We say, Jesus, guess what? I, I think I'm pretty smart. I think I know what's best for my life. But you know what? I've screwed it up enough times. I'm pretty sure I don't. So I'm going to let you be on the throne of my life. And I'm going to trust you even when I don't understand. And even when I, I don't want to. You're my king. You have absolute authority. That's why we sing, I surrender all, like we sang earlier. He's our king. The church is the rescued disciples of Jesus who trust and obey. But it's even more than that. We're the rescue disciples of Jesus who trust and obey, but we are committed to helping others trust and obey. What happens when you go see a really good movie? You come home and you tell people about it, right? When you see one of those movies, and we know that not all the movies are this way, you go and you see things, you're like, why did I pay money for that? That's a joke. You go and you watch things, you're like, ooh, I feel a little dirty after watching that. But there are those movies that you watch that you want to tell somebody else about. I can remember a few years ago, I was in a theater with Audrey and our boys, and I was so moved. We were watching Frozen. (laughs) Anna and, and Elsa and Sven, Olaf. I remember how stirred I was when she's singing, let it go, let it go. Okay, maybe that wasn't the case with Frozen. Maybe it was the case with uh, uh, Marvel Avengers Endgame. But, but maybe you were stirred by Frozen. The reality is that when you're stirred by something, you tell other people about it, don't you? You go to a great restaurant. It's one of the first things you do when you have a conversation with someone. I mean, you've got to go here. It's incredible. When you meet somebody, you tell other people, hey, you've got to meet this new friend. You've got to meet this person. When we're experiencing something that, 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 that has moved us and, and even more transformed us, we want other people to know about it. Those of you that are grandparents in the room, like how often do you misuse Facebook and texting after you have a grandchild? Like you tell everybody. Some of you send whole novels and 400 pictures to people who, who you barely know. Like you want the whole world to know that this has changed your life shouldn't we who have been rescued by an amazing God and brought into the marvelous light and experienced the fullness of life as we trust and obey him, shouldn't we want to help other people come to experience that as well? This is the mission we talked about in our uh, Faith Promise series a few weeks ago. Uh, Jesus is clear about the mission of the church. I don't know why we overcomplicate it, Matthew 28 says it succinctly. Uh, actually, Matthew 28 doesn't say anything. Jesus says it. Matthew records the words. Uh, maybe, maybe you remember these words. Uh, towards the end of his time on earth, before he ascends, Jesus is gathered on a mountain with uh, his close followers. And he says this to them. I think you're going to hear whispers of our statement all throughout this. He says, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a pretty big statement. All authority in heaven and on earth. I mean, it would be big if it was just all the authority on earth, right? But we're talking about all the authority of the cosmos, not just the Milky Way, but galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxy. All the authority of the one who hung the stars in place and fashioned the earth. All the authority of the one who knows you in your innermost parts. All the authority of the creator of the heavens and the earth has been given to Jesus. And what does he state out of that authority? He says, Go and make disciples of all nations, every ethnicity, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. The mission of the church is simple. I pray that God is gracious towards me and us as we complicate it. But we are called to be rescued disciples of Jesus who trust and obey. And we go so transformed, so changed, so compelled to help others trust and obey that very same Jesus. That's our mission. To go and to share and to tell. To make disciples to make disciples everywhere we go, in your home, in your workplace, among your neighbors. How many of us are intentionally investing in a few as Jesus modeled? Intentionally investing to share with them the greatness of who God is, what it means for their life, how it helps them in their relationships, how it guides their choices and their lifestyle so they can trust and obey and experience the very same thing and tell other people about it. Do we understand that this is not just a job for clergy? I get paid to be a minister to help equip you to live out your calling, but I have to be making disciples too. I have to be investing in people too. And together we invest in others that as we trust and obey, others might trust and obey. And could it be that we've missed it? Could it be that many of us have failed to intentionally make disciples? Barna did a recent, uh, Barna's a, a surveying group, Barna Research, and uh, they did a recent survey, and uh, they surveyed uh, people that consider themselves active Christian people, and they said, what's what's the purpose of the church? 80% of them chose to care and comfort me. 80% of 2,000 surveyed across the U.S. said the purpose of being a disciple of Jesus and coming together, that other people would comfort me and take care of me and meet my needs. I don't see that anywhere in the Great Commission. What's the purpose of us coming together today? Is to proclaim the greatness and the goodness. And the glory and the majesty of God. And to be so enamored and to be so captivated and be inspired and moved by who he is. That that we learn how we can practically go out and help other people experience him. To experience how they were created and what God intends for them. See the church is the rescue disciples of Jesus. Who trust and obey Jesus. And are committed to helping other people trust and obey Jesus. Jesus. We aren't people who get together to drink coffee and just feel better and make sure somebody's there to comfort us. Now, don't mishear me. We have one another, passages in Scripture, for a reason. As we live out this calling, as we love Jesus together, we should have the Spirit creating in us this person who wants to comfort other people and care for other people. But the purpose of the church is that we're the rescued disciples of Jesus who trust and obey Jesus and are committed to helping other people trust and obey Jesus. So what does this look like practically? Well, when we talk about the church, we talk about the church in two different ways. Um, It's not just we, the the scriptures talk about the church in two different ways. You've heard me say this before. We have the big C church. All the YMCA paid off. I can make a C. I think that's the right way. Um, And we have the little C church. When you read through the pages of the New Testament, you'll see the church with a big C and a church with a little c. So when we think about the church being the rescued disciples of Jesus who trust and obey Jesus and are committed to helping others trust and obey Jesus, how does that flesh itself out? Well, in the big C world is that we're just a part of a global, historical group of rescued disciples of Jesus. We find our identity within a much larger narrative of history. It's about the disciples of Jesus before us, all the disciples of Jesus across the world now, and all the disciples of Jesus that will come after us until Christ returns. That's the big C church. But it's important that we understand that because you're a part of a much larger community. Sometimes we we, we get caught in this little, you know, compartmentalized thinking. We're like, well, well, it's just Lebanon Christian. No, Lebanon Christian Church is a part of a huge church. The same church that Freedom Church is a part of. The same church that the Rock Church is a part of. The same church that Trader Point is a part of. The same church that the churches all across the world are a part of. We're part of the great big church. We're all the rescued disciples of Jesus who trust and obey Jesus and are committed to helping others trust and obey Jesus. That's important because when things don't look up for us, we need to look out and see what God's doing all around us because God is good and God is working through his community. I was at this National Disciple Makers Forum this week and I heard the story of a pastor, a minister from Sierra Leone. If you don't know the history of Sierra Leone, uh, I I would just research a little bit, quick Google search. Torn apart by civil war. All kinds of violence and death over the last couple of decades. Predominantly Muslim nation. Uh, And this gentleman named Shadonke came to know Christ, he was rescued by Jesus as a disciple. He started trusting and obeying Jesus. and He knew that he had to help other people trust and obey Jesus. Fifteen years later, because of the disciples that have made disciples, that have made disciples, that have made disciples, disciples, do you know that in fifteen years, 1.5, sit down for this, hold yourself down, 1.5 million Muslims have become disciples of Jesus in Sierra Leone. In 15 years, 1.5 million. To, To help you give you some perspective, that's more in the previous 15 centuries times 10. And it's all because rescued disciples of Jesus trust and obey Jesus and they're committed to helping others trust and obey Jesus. And I, I know what you do. You probably do the same thing I do. You hear that and you're like, well, that's cool. That's like over the Atlantic. That's like Africa. Like things are harder there. Sure, people respond differently. But it's happening in our country too. Because on that same platform, a man named Dave got up with his wife and they shared the story of Ethos Church in Nashville, Tennessee, downtown. Downtown. It's a church that, that we would, in our limited thinking, call a megachurch because more than 2,000 people gather to worship each weekend. But they're not like every megachurch out there. It's not just a bunch of people that come together. It doesn't mean every megachurch is that way. But they're growing because they are rescued disciples of Jesus who trust and obey Jesus and are helping others trust and obey Jesus. And get this. This is the most exciting thing about Ethos. 80% of their church... 80% of the thousands that gather together and are making disciples, they're between the ages of 20 and 30. And everything you'll read and everything you'll see will say that our young people between the ages of 20 and 30 want nothing to do with the church. And you know what? I think they don't want anything to do with cultural Christianity. I think they want everything to do with a Jesus who changes lives. And so they're growing and it's changing Nashville. They share story after story, how it's infiltrating government and community and people are being changed and the poor are being helped. And it's just incredible. The same things we see happening in Sierra Leone are happening here and they can happen in Lebanon. We are part of the big C, this this macro level church but another way we speak of the church is with a little c. And that's because each local group of rescued disciples is an expression of that greater church. Lebanon Christian Church is one of those. We see this in scripture. We see Paul write to the church at Philippi. We see Paul write to the church in Ephesus and Colossae and Thessalonica. And we see him in Romans talk about the church that meets in Phoebe's home and the the church that meets in uh, Priscilla and Aquila's home. Like these local expressions. These are rescued disciples of Jesus who trust and obey Jesus and are committed to helping others trust and obey Jesus. Lebanon Christian Church is just this regional expression. And we're an important part of that. We're not less significant than Sierra Leone. We're not less significant than Nashville. We're an important part. We want you to play an important part of helping us trust and obey Jesus and help others trust and obey Jesus. One of the things as we kind of give you the DNA of Lebanon Christian Church that you'll hear us talk about from time to time is membership. Membership. And that's a confusing thing sometimes. Um, Two things to say about membership in a local church, in Lebanon Christian Church specifically, is that first and foremost, um, we talk about membership, I think, because it's mandated by our government. Uh, don't hear that the wrong way. In order to be an organization in the state of Indiana, uh, you have to have members. And so we need members. So we choose to transform that by God's power and say, well, we want membership then to be people that we know are committed and invested in being these rescued disciples of Jesus who trust and obey Jesus and are committed to helping others trust and obey Jesus. So membership for us, yes, we have to fulfill the government requirement, um, but more than that, it's to say who's, who's in. Uh, Philip, our associate minister, has come up with a really neat phrase and I'm gonna steal it from him and I told him I would. To think of membership as missionary partnership. See, so often when we think of membership, um, uh, we're a Sam's Club member. We're a Costco member. We're we're, we're a golf club member. We're, We're a YMCA gym member. And so because we're a member, we get certain benefits that come to us. It's more of a what can you do for me because I'm now a member. But that's not the church's picture. Are there things that happen for you as a member of a local church? Yes. The joy of journeying and accomplishing great things for the kingdom together the thrill of close relationships with other people, the identity it brings you as you live out this calling that God has on your life. But the main point is not what you get. It's how together you can go. So missionary partnership, our mission to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them everything God has commanded us. And so together we partner together to see that happen here and throughout our world. Whether it's macro or micro, the church is the rescued disciples of Jesus who trust and obey Jesus and are committed to helping others trust and obey Jesus. Well, next steps is next week. We have to give you some next steps today. I don't want to waste your time and send you out of here without what to do next. So here are four. One, if you are not yet a rescued disciple of Jesus, that's where you start. That's where you start until you know, until you discover who you are in him. We're going to sing in just a few moments, this beautiful song, uh, who am I? And it speaks about our identity in Christ until you recognize that God has rescued you, that he's brought you in to the marvelous light, to a whole new way of living. You will never experience the beauty that is the kingdom of God and the joy and the fullness that is the kingdom of God. And so for you, it starts by believing that he is who he says he is, that he's done what the word of God declares that he's done. And you believe and you choose to turn from living life your way under your own authority to living life under his, we call that repentance and we confess him as Lord. He becomes our master. He's going to rule our lives and we enter into his life in faith in baptism. He fills us and we go out and live as his people, subjects of his kingdom, bringing his good news to a a dying world. So that's your, your first step if you're not there. The second step would be to connect with a local church. If Lebanon Christian Church isn't it, if you've been coming here for a few weeks or months and you're like, I'm just not sure if this is the right fit, here's what I will tell you. Share that with me or another person and we'll help you find that right place for you to partner in God's kingdom. Because as I've said, this is not the only part of the church in Lebanon. We're just a part of a much bigger community of believers and you need to find your place in that story, in this local expression of his greater body. If you want to know more about that, you can talk. um, The easiest way is just to email one of our ministers. Our email addresses are on the back of your bulletin cover. Call the office and we'll help you walk through what it means to be a member in our membership covenant. Last two steps. We said that the church is the rescued disciples of Jesus who trust and obey Jesus. Think about your life. If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus... Where are you struggling to trust him and obey him? Think about it for a moment. I'm going to give you a moment uh, to pray in just a second, a very simple prayer. We'll call it a a young Samuel prayer. Here I am, Lord. Speak to me. And to ask God, where is it that you're struggling to trust him and obey him? The second step we can all do is, is ask God to show us someone that we can help trust and obey Jesus. Who are you going to invest in? Who, who are you going to help see how incredible God is? If you don't have that person, pray. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a minute, and we're going to be, uh, I'm not going to pray out loud. I want you to pray where you're at, and I want you to ask God just very simply, God, show me how I need to trust and obey you. And I want you to pray the second prayer. God, show me who I can help trust and obey you. So pray that prayer right now. God, hear these sincere pleads of your people. Show us how we can trust and obey. God, show us who it is that you want us to invest in. To share what we know about you that they might come to trust and obey. Lord, give us the boldness to truly be your church, to understand our place in your story to submit to your authority. But God, to share the wonders of you and your kingdom with others. In your name we pray, amen.